We want to introduce our next guest, and um, our next guest is a good friend of ours for many years, Heidi, uh, Donna Sherman, and we're looking forward to having her on on the show today. Donna's just a, a whole leader in the field, isn't she, Heidi? Absolutely. She was the executive director for the Dougie Center for over 25 years, and she transformed it. It is the most amazing bereavement center, I think, in the world. Dr. Donna Sherman is a member of the International Work Group on Death, Dying, and Bereavement and a founding board member of the National Alliance for Grieving Children. She has trained the National Transportation Safety Board and the FBI's rapid deployment teams, as well as medical personnel, NGO staff, and caregivers following major natural and man-made disasters. And she's pretty much been involved with all natural man-made disasters throughout the country and world. I mean, she really is a leader in this field. She serves as a national trainer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and is a member of the Foundation Board of Directors for the Compassionate Friends. And I also served with her for several years on the Board of Directors for the Compassionate Friends. So welcome to our conference, Donna. Thank you. I just celebrated 32 years at Dougie Center in Portland, Oregon, the National Grief Center for Children and Families. Uh, we are 41 years old, and I've had the privilege of being involved on staff for 32 of those years. For five or six before that, I was a volunteer uh, working with our founder, Beverly Chapel. starting, we started uh, groups for children after the suicide death of a family member, and then started groups for families after the homicide death of a family member for six to 12 year olds. Just a few things. We are the first grief uh, support peer program that we're aware of in the United States, uh, 41 years this year, Portland, Oregon. We work with at any point in time, over 500 children, teens, young adults, and about 350 of their parents in over 70 grief, ongoing grief support groups. There is no fee for families and they may participate for as long as they wish. There's, uh, there are some good six week, eight week, 10 week, 12 week programs out there. And sometimes circumstances like cost require that. Uh, our program, I think the average length of time that families participate is about 15 months, but families can stay for two years, whatever they need, which kind of leads me into the discussion I want to have today about the impact of COVID-19 deaths on children and families. And uh, like David, I will start with a bit of a personal story. And that is that my one of my two brothers, I have two brothers, one is two years older, Bradley, one is five years older, Stephen. And my brother Bradley died of COVID on May 15th, 2021 in Atlanta after four weeks in the hospital. And despite being in this work for, you know, at that time 30, 31 years, I still remain a little bit shocked at the way that some people respond. I hear it all the time. We hear it from our families, stigmatized deaths like suicide deaths, like drug overdose deaths. And now I think for many people, 
COVID-19 deaths have this sort of shame or stigma, which leads some children, some families to want to keep it a secret. What, how did the person die? Oh, they had pneumonia. They died in the hospital. They got sick because there is this weird shame and stigma that can be associated with it. And we're all tired of the pandemic. I mean, I, I don't know anybody, maybe they're out there. I have never met them who's like, yeah, it's been really fun. I hope it continues. I like the isolation. I like feeling like I might get sick. I mean, I don't think anybody's out there doing that. But I hear a lot of people, and even during the initial times of the pandemic, when we weren't sure what was happening and we didn't know that millions of people would die. And I hear people during that time after my brother died saying things like, I'm so over it. And I have to stop myself from saying, yeah, so is my brother because he's dead. He's really over it. Um, so one of the things that happens for families certainly happened for me, but imagine the same thing happening if you are seven years old, 11 years old, 15, 21, 28, 32. And so someone finds out your father, your parent, your mother, your sibling died of COVID. And instead of saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, or what's that like for you, or tell me about the person, what kind of a relationship did you have with your brother, in my case? Uh, did you talk to him? Did you have a chance to say goodbye? Those kinds of things. No, by and large, the questions are intrusive questions like, well, were they vaccinated? Um, how did they get COVID? Were they careless? Did they wear a mask? You know, from some people, the, the whole political polarization around the causes of the pandemic and the restrictions around it, like, well, you know, COVID's not even a real disease, um, or it's their fault they got it because they exposed themselves to it, or did anyone else in your family get it? Or, and, and this is a big one. I think I've been asked this by dozens of people when I say my brother died of COVID, uh, did he have underlying conditions? And it's almost like, well, if he did, then, oh, well, you know, like it, maybe his death doesn't matter as much. It, it's very minimizing, it's very marginalizing. And so there's also with COVID deaths, and I think often with deaths of family members and friends who've died of suicide, who've died of drug overdoses, they seem to evoke more disapproval or blame toward the person who died as if on one hand it was their fault and therefore I can now be relieved because I'm safe from that happening to me or anyone in my life. And again, yes, we're all tired of, we're over it, we're, we want to move on. And what we're not recognizing is that there are many, many children, over 300,000 in the United States alone, who have had a parent die. And that doesn't include all the children who are impacted by a sibling death, an aunt or uncle, you know, a, a close friend's parent. And I can assure you, they're not over it. 
they are just beginning to start coping with all of the complicating factors that go along with having a family member die of COVID-19. And of course, some of those I've already mentioned, there's a stigma, there's a, uh, a shame kind of associated with it. There's all of the political polarization that adds things, even for seven and eight-year-olds who might be told by friends like, well, you know, your dad died because he wasn't careful or he didn't really die of COVID. There's no such thing. Um, everybody, I've heard so many people say over the years, and again, I've been in this work for several decades, that everyone's trying to be helpful. And the sad reality is, no, everybody isn't trying to be helpful. And so you have to sort of cull the people who are seriously not being helpful. I've heard many, many children, teens, parents who've had a, a family member die say, you really find out who's there for you. And it can be surprising. People show up in beautiful ways that you would not have expected. People disappear that you thought would be there. People show up in ways that are actually either not helpful or outwardly harmful. And so it, it is a very challenging experience while you are grieving. I think too, for children and families that we work with at the Dougie Center, as well as others through our National Alliance for uh, Children and Families, that they feel that their loss, their, their grief, and also the death of the person in their lives has been sort of marginalized because there was not the same kind of opportunity to honor the person when they died. Maybe like in my brother's case, we couldn't hold a live funeral. It was May, 2021. We weren't allowed in the hospital. I didn't get to see him. I didn't get to hold his hand. Uh, and those kinds of things that under different conditions are things that help us cope say goodbye, feel like we are honoring the person. All of those were interrupted. And I know some people delayed services, maybe held them a year later, maybe a year and a half, sometimes two years later. And they, the families that I've talked to are like, it was good to do that and gather, but it wasn't the same as it would have been had we been able to do that back when people were hadn't already moved on in their lives. You know, it's like, well, it's been this length of time, aren't you over it? Uh, and that whole kind of language, getting over it, we don't get over, nor should we, the death of someone in our lives. Hopefully we can get through it. We can adapt. We can struggle. We can do all of those things. But the concept that somehow we're magically getting over it and there's this finish line would imply, in my view, that we didn't really care about the person. I mean, as David just said, he carries his son in his life. He carries his parents. I carry my parents. I have my, my, a picture of my mother at the beach. The last time we were at the beach, my mother also died, not of COVID, but during the pandemic restriction time. And I have a picture of her. She's on my phone. So every time I answer a call. It's like, hi, mom, there you are. 
we carry them and they become a part of who we are. The other thing that happened for families who had someone die of COVID is we're already isolated. We're socially isolated because of the pandemic restrictions, certainly in some parts of the country more than others. But at least in the very beginning months, I think when schools, many schools went virtual, uh, you know, we were, we were basically told don't go in rooms with people that you're not related to, all of those kinds of things were already isolated. And then you have a death from this cause that has isolated us, that is also stigmatized, and now you're even more isolated and withdrawn. And there's been a lot of publicity and media, and I think rightly so, about the impact of all of the pandemic issues, the restrictions, the isolation, the changes in schooling on the health of our youth in the US and certainly beyond. And I think that we also need to remember that it's not over for these children and these families who've had someone die of COVID. They're just now really beginning to kind of come out of that fog of what happened. And another thing that happens in stigmatized deaths is there tends to be an overfocus on the manner of the death and not the life of the person. And so I want to encourage people to, when, when you have a friend who's had a death or a family member who's had a death, ask, how are you doing today? Uh, not how are you doing in general, because it's, uh, how, you know, how do you even encapsulate that? How is today for you? And then that person can say, today's not so bad. I've had a bad week or today is horrible. And then I've been thinking about you and I've been thinking about, about your brother and wondering if you would share a memory with me or something you've thought about, or do you have a funny story or, because we want to remember our loved ones who have died. We don't want them to be forgotten. And when their cause of death, manner of death overshadows their life and who they were as a human being in the world, it, it makes us feel even more isolated. So don't be afraid to ask. And you can say, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I'd love to hear a story about your brother. I'd love to hear a story about your sister, your mother, uh, if you want to share one. And if you don't, it's okay. But we often don't open those opportunities. I think another thing that is challenging is that the, all of the continuing conversations and news and discussions about the pandemic and its influence on everybody, it just keeps kind of that rawness open. It's like an open wound that, that can't get bandaged. And the, of course, the political polarization of uh, minimizing or denying the reality of all of these deaths is, is very challenging. I think also one of the things that the pandemic and COVID-19 did is highlighted issues related to inequities in our society that marginalized groups of people, communities of color uh, often had disproportionate deaths due to 
inequitable access to, to care. And some communities were more impacted than others. And I think that while that has highlighted those deaths, I, I do hope that we can continue to not put it behind us, but to use it as an opportunity to develop more equitable access to care. And in my remaining moments, uh, I do want to mention that there have been a lot of children who've been impacted by the death of a parent from COVID whose, whose parents worked in law enforcement, who were healthcare workers, who were firefighters, EMTs. And this strange juxtaposition really of they died while they were helping others and yet they can still their deaths can still be stigmatized and so i think we need to recognize uh, all of the people who really gave their lives to help others uh, dougie center has been uh, privileged to receive funding from the brave of heart fund which was founded by the foundation of new york life and cigna was started in 2020 to provide uh, services to families on the front line, healthcare workers, uh, firefighter, uh, law enforcement, and anyone who's listening, if you have a death, a COVID death, we have a lot of free downloadable resources on our website, Dougie.org, uh, about supporting children and teens when someone dies of COVID. And some of them are specific to law enforcement, uh, deaths, healthcare workers. And so uh, it's been a, a privilege to share briefly with you all today. The loss of a loved one can leave you feeling depressed, angry, alone, lost. But you don't have to face this journey on your own. Open to Hope is a free community for anyone who has experienced loss. Find support. Find help. Find hope. Give grief a voice at opentohope.com.